It never ceases to amaze me, the selection of songs, without coordinating this, how well it goes um, frequently with the, with the message. As we've been going through the positions, the titles that, uh, that Christ holds, we've seen a large variety of, of jobs that Christ does. Uh, most of them have, as we've mentioned before, are these noble reverent positions. Um, Some have been dangerous. Uh, Some have been very humble. And we are going to look today at a job that is hated. This job that is hated, there's a lot of lists of jobs that are hated. Um, And the criteria for a hated job is pretty diverse. some jobs are hated by those who do them. They don't like the jobs. I was actually, in, uh, I came across, in, in preparing for this message, I came across a, a series, uh, a, a British uh, documentary series called The Worst Jobs in History. That is funny. He goes through all these British jobs, and uh, there's just some horrible things that people had to do to, to, get, a, to get a living. I mean, just really awful, disgusting things. Uh, and, and, and I don't know why that's an attractive documentary, but it's just like, it's like you can't stop watching. It's like, oh my goodness, people did this. And, here he, and he goes through and does all these things. There's a lot of jobs that are hated. Um, they may be hated for their monotony. Uh, the one guy, if you made charcoal, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, that, that was a job. Make charcoal because that's how they, they, all those nice swords that you see in all these movies, well, that had to be made somehow. And so a guy had to sit for a hundred hours and watch a smolder, uh, they'd stack wood and, and have a smoldering fire under dirt and had to watch it so it didn't all burn up because that's his livelihood. And watch this stack for a hundred, or, or, I'm sorry, 48 hours and then turn around, he had a day of rest and he'd do it again. 48 hours, I think. It was either 48 or 100. I can't remember which now. But it was just a long time. They would fall asleep, so they had to have a stool that with one leg. So if they, they fell asleep, they'd fall off and wake themselves up. And it, so there's a one-legged stool that they had to, to develop to, to do this job. This is crazy. that just, just sit there and watch a fire for days. No monotony. Uh, there might be no chance for advancement. You might be in a job that has no chance for advancement. You're low on the rung, and that's the highest rung. <laughs> well, this is wonderful. It might be a high-stress job or a disgusting job. Some jobs are hated by other people. Right? We're going to talk a little bit about that. Some jobs, it's not so much the people that do them that hate them, but just everybody else hates you for doing it. Right? Now you can think of a lot of jobs like that. And on the list there are the usual suspects. Every list of this has the same couple. Like Everyone uh, doesn't like the dentist. Right? There's no one that loves going to the dentist. I, I usually know my heart rate and my blood pressure pretty accurately. And uh, I, I went to the dentist and, uh, and, I, and she takes that. I, I, I always guess at what it is. And it's always like 10 beats. It's, like, it's always faster. I'm like, why is it? She's like, you're in a dentist office. She's like, a heart rate is always higher when you take the heart rate in the dentist office. Like, just people just don't like being here. So your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up. Like, wow, I didn't know that. So, uh, dentists. People are disliked for dishonesty. Right? And the usual suspects here. 
politicians, used car salesmen. Right? We, we just have a natural distrust. And uh, we're going to talk about a, a one that hits every list. Every, every list that's ever been here uh, has this on it. Now, not Shakespeare. You know, this is not your teacher. This is not a British lit teacher as a hated profession. Why Shakespeare? Shakespeare had in his play one line which people argue over what the meaning of it was. First kill all the lawyers. Go. So, so we go back 500 years and people hated lawyers. Right? And Christ takes this job. What? Christ takes the job. We're, we're talking this month about the legal things that, that, that Christ does. And we come to this statement in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What is an advocate? We need to talk about what is an advocate. Interestingly enough, this word is used elsewhere. It means comforter or helper. It's used of the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will send you, uh, the, in Greek it's the word paraclete, but it's the same word advocate. And what in the world, what comforter, and, and in this sense, the word has nothing to do with emotional comfort. It's not the Holy Spirit's going to make you feel good. How in the world are comforter and helper connected to each other and then connected to this word advocate, which is a legal word? What in the world is the common thread? And to understand the common thread of how this word came to mean this, we would have to understand a little bit, just a little bit of the history of how the word and profession of lawyer came to be. So let's look just very briefly, because it's also interesting. Uh, about how lawyers happen. How did this hated profession come about? You know, in Greece and in Rome, in ancient Rome, you had to defend yourself. If you were taken to court, you had to defend yourself. Wow, that's uh, the famous. The famous quote is that uh, anyone who defends themselves has a fool for a client. Hey, have you ever heard that? Uh, so, so it, it just it doesn't usually work out that well when an untrained person has to defend themselves. But it was illegal under Rome and, and Greece to, uh, or for much of their history, to have a lawyer. So, so they, couldn't, they couldn't advertise. They didn't have you know, a lawyer's guild or, or any of these other things. It was illegal. So what happened was rich people started paying uh, lawyers under the table. And they weren't really lawyers. They were orators. They might be public speakers that were really good at saying things. You know? and, and so they would pay them under the table and they would be a friend that would give a witness in, in court. And they would come as though they were a friend, as though they were a helper. Uh, and, and they would provide this assistance, this comfort, was legal, really, is what it was. Um, and they did so under the guise of being a friend, but they might not know them at all. They just had befriended each other on the basis of some money that had been paid. And they would give this and present this case very well in court as a friend, just you know, being a character witness. Well, it's interesting that they were illegal because even before the thing was a profession, they were suspicious of lawyers. <laughs> even before they had an official job, they're like, I don't know about this job. I don't know about these people. And so it was Emperor Claudius uh, who legalized the profession in 50 AD. So we're talking about 
the times of, of the Apostle Paul. Right? We read through the Apostle Paul. It's Apostle Paul who goes before Caesar and gives his own defense. Right? He appeals to Caesar. This is a new thing. This is a, a still a very new thing. While Apostle Paul is, is alive, to, to be able to have a lawyer give an account for you. And so, as John writes his letter, this is still a new idea. I mean, it's, it's, it's maybe 30 or 40 years old, but that's not that old, really. And now, and as we said, even up until this point, it's been a rich person's thing. And guess what? It's still going to be a rich person's thing. <laughs> There's nothing changed in, in 2,000 years. Good lawyers are still a rich person's luxury. And so... As he says this, this is a profound statement. These comforters, these helpers, these, these, these people that give you this assistance, he says, we have an advocate. You have this ability to have a person as your character witness before God. Dude, that's, that's unthinkable. This statement is such a profound statement to anybody who would have read it. It's not just a throwaway line to talk about an advocate, a lawyer. You have a lawyer that will come and give your defense before the Father. That's amazing. People couldn't even get a, a lawyer for most of the things that they would need some in a civil court. It is funny, as I read this text, what he says... He says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that, that within 50 or 40 years of the, the concept of a legal profession of lawyer, John has to clarify that Jesus Christ is a righteous lawyer. I think I find that a little bit ironic, that, uh, that you know, even then there's suspicion about you know, this, this profession. No, 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 he's a, he's a good lawyer. He's a righteous lawyer. So I want to go, as I say, John's statement is not a throwaway line. We are offered someone to plead on our behalf with God. And I want to illustrate something of how important this would be. We actually mentioned Job. We're going to go back to Job. And I want to look at a process to notice the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so Job, here in this statement, he's arguing with his, with his three buddies. And they're going back and forth about they think he's guilty and he's saying he's not guilty. And He says, keep listening to my words. Let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there who will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. And he's just talking here about his confidence in his own innocence, in front of his friends. He's like, listen, I've formulated my arguments. I will defend myself to you. And he's just talking about between him and his friends. But as he, the more he talks, the more he talks, you know, this is one of those things, the more you talk, sometimes you dig yourself deeper. The more he talks, he starts working himself up into a lather, uh, is what ends up happening. Because he starts uh, elevating his viewpoint just a little bit. He says, oh, that one might plead his, uh, as a man pleads, uh, or with God, as a man pleads for his neighbor. He starts elevating, his, he starts to think, 
how great it would be instead of just arguing with these three buddies who don't know anything. It would be great if I could actually argue my case in front of God. It's just a hypothetical. He's not saying, I don't want to yet. He's just saying, hypothetically, this would be a great thing. See, just slowly the process starts of lifting himself up above his peers. Well, as we say, it doesn't stop. He just keeps digging, keeps on getting himself more excited and ramped up. He says, oh, that I knew where I might find him. Talking about God now. That I might come to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There, an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Whoa, let's slow down there, buddy. He now becomes overconfident. That he could, you, ever, you hear this all the time. You, you talk with someone that doesn't really know much about the Bible and say, oh yeah, wait till Judgment Day, I'll tell God. This is Job. I wish I had the opportunity. No, it's not even a more a rhetorical question. I wish I could do this. Because I would fill my mouth with arguments. I've got a bunch of stuff to say to God. And tell Him. And He'll say, yeah, you're right. That's what He's saying. Alright. So, God says, alright. Finally, God says, okay. I'll go first. Then I'll give you your shot. God, God says, I'm going to speak first. Then you, we, we're going to get to do this. The Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind. Not a good way to start off. You know, you're going to oppose somebody. They start making a tornado and they're going to talk to you. Okay, I'm ready. I think you win. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel? By words without knowledge. Darkens counsel. What do you mean? It's like, now that you have spoken, this is like the modern version is, we are now all dumber for having heard you. That's what he says, basically. You darken counsel by words without knowledge. Dress for action like a man. Dress for action was like, put on your armor. That's what dress for action meant. Put your armor on. And I will question you. Okay, we're in court. Court's in session. I got a few questions. And you will answer. You're going to make it known. So Job gets his opportunity. Here's how it turns out Job 40. The Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer. So he's finished his chapter and a half questioning. Job answers. Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer? I lay my hand over my mouth. I have spoken what this is like saying I'm putting I've I've already put my foot in my mouth. That's the same thing. I have spoken once, I'm not going to do it again. I even said it twice, but I will proceed no further. In other words, he amends his position. I withdraw the question. <laughs> this is how prior to Christ any legal case between you and God went. 
This is how it was. This is, this is just it. You don't win. You don't, you don't get... Just shut up. It, it, it gets worse the more you talk with God. That's the Old Testament. And John comes along and says, you can't handle a court case if this is how court cases with God turn out. John says, but guess what? You no longer have to prepare your own defense. You get to go to God with a lawyer. And not just any lawyer. Maybe you see these judges who have, or, or, or these lawyers that have prepared cases and cases and done, gone to the, even to the Supreme Court numbers of times. You're pretty confident in having their services. And they don't always win, but you've got to be pretty confident. They've been there before. They know the, they know the process. They know all the people they're dealing with. They, they go to lunches. They, they know these people. They know the type of arguments they listen to. And God says, you've got a judge, or you've got a lawyer that knows the judge. Ooh, that's pretty good. I mean, conflicts of interest and everything else, right? You've got a lawyer that knows the judge. How well does he know the judge? Well, let's know our advocate a little bit. Let's know Christ. Uh, one, it's really about confidence to speak. Knowing our advocate is about confidence to speak. And I know after going through all the stuff in Job that you would think it's not about confidence, that, that, that we see Job's error of confidence and overconfidence. But I want to look at why having an advocate gives us confidence and we understand that... Uh, well, let's look at Hebrews. We'll explain it more better than I can. So since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so the picture is really of prayer. This speaking to God. Not because, like Job, I would go in with the confidence of who I am or my arguments that I would present to God and I'm going to tell Him what's up. Much the opposite. I go in knowing my inadequacy, but knowing that there is someone there. This is interesting as you look at the, read the book of Acts and look at every major sermon in the book of Acts, or at least the opening of it. All include, we, we talk about what the gospel is, and the gospel is the death and the resurrection and the, and the burial and repentance. And we talk about all the things that, but look at the depictions of of the sermons, of the, the presentations of the gospel, all include the ascension. All picture Christ sitting. Even here in Hebrews, it pictures Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father. That is an important aspect of the gospel presentation because it presents Christ as having this influence over things that are happening. Stephen got stoned and he's looking up and he says, I see the Son of, the, uh, of God standing at, the right, standing at the right hand of the Father. 
Every presentation of, of the gospel has Christ sitting at the right hand. Understand, we picture going to God in prayer, and if, you, if, if you're a visual person, we, we often picture God sitting on the throne. And there's the Father sitting on the throne, and I'm, I'm going to present my prayers to Him. I want you to amend that picture if you're a pictorial person. And I want you to picture as you go to God in prayer, standing in front of the Father, but right next to Him is Christ. And that's the one who gives some influence as you present your prayers. He sits on His own throne. And He presents arguments in favor of us that we can't present that we are completely unqualified to give in our own defense. And Christ says, let me speak some words on His behalf. As we go and, and, and we apologize for the mistakes we've made, and, and Father, Father says, I don't know. I don't like that. That's immoral. And Jesus says, let me give some arguments on His behalf. Let me be a skilled orator and talk about His life. I'm just imagining the things that, that Christ would say, but He sits. Understand that we have, as we go to God in prayer, we have access to the Father through someone who is there day and night with the Father and is an advocate on our behalf. That is not just a little throwaway phrase in the, in the, in the epistle of John. That is an important, <coughs> profound statement. It gives us confidence. When I go to the Father in prayer, I, I pray in Christ's name. It's not a throwaway statement. I'm standing in front of the Father and I'm saying, on behalf of this person sitting right next to you, I'm going to say what I have to say. That means something to the Father. That means something. It gives me confidence to speak to God, but it doesn't just give me confidence to speak to God. Ephesians chapter 3 tells us what else this access does. He says so that through the church, the manifold or diverse wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And this was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. It's really to speak to others that this confidence gives us. Let me explain that. First of all, he's referencing the church. We noticed that. And he says, uh, you might, this wisdom is now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's, heavenly places is not heaven. It means like high places. And this phrase is used frequently in the New Testament to refer to government authorities. <coughs> like, they're in a class up there, the upper classes, right? Like heavenly places, upper classes. We always use that kind of terminology. And, and we look at the New Testament and we see that happen again and again. We see the, the apostles come before governors and we see them come before high priests and we see them come before all these authorities, all these important people, even before Caesar's own household. 
and, and to be able to come in front of them. Sometimes I think we think that in the church we, we do the things that we do in church and we're kind of here and we're separate and we don't really have the right to compete with things that seem to compete with us. Well, they're up there. What do I mean by that? Well, we just had a graduation ceremony and those kids are going to go to college and they're going to compete with people that are pretty up across. They're going to have professors and people that disagree. Do they have a right? I mean, those, those people have degrees upon degrees and pieces of paper hanging on their wall that show how upper crust they are. They are up here in the heavenly places as far as a, a, a freshman student is concerned. Do you have a right to compete with them and, and confidence to explain and say something different? Yes. Because you have an advocate who speaks on your behalf before the Father. Because you know that you are right because of who you are connected to and it doesn't make a difference how elevated a person thinks they are. You have access to someone higher. The fact that you know this and you put this in your heart means that you have better information. You have better information. Period. Access to the Father should give us confidence to speak, not just to the Father, but to the people around us. By the way, this is where I want to put a plug in. In our morning, Sunday morning class, we're going through these evidences. And what we're finding out is there's a lot more evidence for the existence of God, for Jesus Christ, for, for the Scriptures being reliable, than they would have you believe. That's all available. We put a, the, the classes uh, are put on, on, on the website if you want to go through that material. If you're not able to make it on a, on a Sunday morning for the class time, that's on our, uh, under podcasts, I think. And we just podcast the class. That is valuable information. It's stuff that people don't want you to know. We can have confidence that a connection with Christ is the right connection that you know the right people you have an advocate with the Father and so God gives us Christ gives us a pretty good trade off he says listen you speak to the high people down here on my behalf and I'll speak to the high people up here on your behalf that's a pretty good trade off Really, I mean, that I would have to speak to someone who, a teacher or somebody that I consider kind of above me, I'm a little intimidated by. And God says, you tell them about me, and I will tell the Father about you. Well, that's a trade-off that can't be matched. But Christ said, on the other hand, you're ashamed of me down here, I'm ashamed of you up here. It goes both ways. So, we finish with one, one thought. That is, what do I project? Do I project confidence in what I believe? Do I project that in the people I'm around? I'm going to hedge my bets. If I hedge my bets, if I, if, I, if I have to couch everything I say, well, maybe it's like this, I'm not sure. 
Maybe I need to know the advocate better. Maybe I need to have better confidence in my, my lawyer, the one who speaks on my behalf, the one who I'm connected to. Have confidence and be af- don't be afraid. And, and don't be afraid to use that access. We, we go about our day and we get so busy. I am as guilty as anyone in here. And reach the end of the day and say, I haven't talked to my lawyer today. You talk to your lawyer today? Talk to your lawyer. Talk to God. Make use of that opportunity. You have access to an incredible asset. Access to the almighty creator of the universe through the Son of God. We're going to close.